All righty, guys. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 10. And uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in Proverbs 31. And we have been traveling through this series on biblical relationships. And I don't know how y'all have felt about it, but I've really enjoyed um, doing this study and, and being able to do this, this research, if you want to call it that, in the Word of God. And uh, everything y'all are, y'all are hearing, I had to learn first, so it's been a good experience. And tonight, we are going to wrap up our section on marriage with what it means to become a virtuous wife, right? And so this doesn't innately, <laughs> you know, address the men in the room, but as for the other sermons, I, I think you'll get something out of it, and if nothing else, you'll be able to understand um, how you need to best serve your wife and in, in strengthening her, okay? So I want to start by introducing you to some Hebrew. Anybody in here know some Hebrew? Yeah, one guy. We got one guy that knows some Hebrew. That's good because I don't really know any Hebrew, right? I know a little bit. Shalom, right? Yeah. He said shalom. I don't know. But uh, he doesn't know any Hebrew. Anyways... I want to I want to introduce you to a word kayil. Okay? C H A Y I L, kayil. And kayil is a Hebrew word that means mighty, strong, or of great value. But what it really means in context is it means worthy. Okay? Kail means worthy, worthy of whatever the context is. For example, Kail is translated in the Old Testament primarily as the word army. You see, a king or a nation in the Old Testament, that their worth, their strength, their power was found in the size and the effectiveness of their army. So a king and a nation's army was his kayil. It was his strength. It was his worth. It's also translated about half, about 37 times in the New King James Version into the word man, or the phrase man of valor. And you see that mostly when, it's, when it talks about men being mighty men of valor, valor. These were strong soldiers, right? They, were, they dominated the battlefield. They were men of renown, and it was, it was more than their fighting, though. It was part of their character. They stood out in character and in physical ability above anyone else. Uh, King David was a man of valor. If you read through the, what is it, the end of, let me think, let me see if I can remember this. Oh, gosh, end of Kings, end of Samuel. Anyways, somewhere it lists his army, and it talks about the top dudes in his army, And it's freaking crazy. It puts the movie 300 to shame, all right? Like, the the whole army was fleeting, and this one dude stood in the middle of a field and killed, like, 3,000 Philistines by himself just because he could. King David got thirsty one time because they were hidden out, and he said, oh, if only I could get a drink of water. And three of his guards ran into a Philistine fortress, broke through, killed everybody, and brought him a cup of water. Okay? These were David's men of valor. They were some top-notch dudes, all right? And that is what this word kail translates into, men of valor. 
okay? And so again, it comes back to a whole oversight of value. One last example, you look at the Roman army in Jesus' day, right? It was a tiny army. It was not huge. It was not massive. But they were so effective. The way they advanced on their enemies and completely obliterated them. They were so powerful, effective in the way they did war that that tiny little army conquered most of the world. And they were the Kail of the Roman Empire. Yes, sir. There you go. Less than 300,000 men took over all the known world. These dudes were some pimps. I, anyways, so what does that have to do with a vir- being a virtuous woman, though? I guess that's the question, right? So I want to read with me, if you will, just through verses 10, um, 10 through 31 of Proverbs 31. Starts by saying, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength. She strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good, and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hand to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, For all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among uh, among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now, I wanted to give you a backdrop to this word kail and the depth of what it really means, because in verse 10, the the, uh, person writing the proverb asks, Who can find a virtuous woman? That word, virtuous, is that same word, Kail. Kail. Who can find a woman of great value? Who can find a woman who will be to the husband the strength, the value, and the power 
of his kingdom. Who can find a wife of such excellence that he considers her his strength and wealth? So let me ask you, women, who here will choose to become the Kail? Put your hand down, Stephen. <laughs> who will choose to become the Kail, the virtuous wife for their husband? See, in verse 11 of chapter 31, it goes on to say that this woman, who can find a virtuous woman for her worth is far above rubies. Verse 11, the heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. So what does that really have to do with being a virtuous woman? How, why is there this, this odd transition from being a woman of virtue to husband's trust and gain? Like, that's kind of odd, don't you think? Well, last week we looked at Proverbs 18.22, which basically just says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing, and he obtains favor from the Lord. When it says a good thing in Proverbs 18, this is another Greek word that's translated into welfare, prosperity, and happiness. So what God is really telling us is that if a man finds a virtuous wife, he finds or if he finds a wife, he finds welfare, he finds prosperity, he finds happiness. But we can also say that if a man finds a wife who's not so virtuous, who's not so kail to him, that the opposite will probably be true, that he'll find strife, he'll find worry, he'll find disaster. And there's more than enough biblical example. I'm sure all of you know people who have gotten into a relationship with, I'll just say it, a crazy woman or a uh, woman who doesn't fear the Lord. And you have seen a man be tore down. Right? I think everybody's seen that. But why is that? You see, when a man chooses a wife, that is a lifetime investment. And he invests in his wife, and he finds his comfort and his strength there. When a woman uh, decides to marry a man, they go into this covenant with each other, and it's really a covenant before God, right? The, the marriage vows, we got some people about to be married. The marriage vows you speak on your marriage day aren't necessarily to each other as much as they are to God who witnesses them, right? And you're making a covenant that regardless of X, Y, and Z, before you, Lord, I will fulfill your role as a husband. The wife, regardless of X, Y, and Z, I will fulfill your role as a wife. That is the covenant being made. Now, we know from our, our past studies from the Word of God that the man, the husband, becomes the head of this new body, this one body God has made. And as the head, what does that mean? It means that he has now been given a stewardship, of course, over himself, over his wife, over the children, over their property, over all things, right? So I want you to think about this for a second. 
I promise this relates to being a woman and wife, I, I promise. I want you to think about this. So as a man, now you have to worry about being a godly man. And you have to worry about whether or not your wife is, is, is uh, understanding the word and becoming a godly woman. And you have to make sure that your children are safe and healthy and fed and that they're getting a good education. And you have to make sure that your house is in order. And you have to make sure that the bills are paid. And you have to make sure that you're working and that your ministry out here is going good. And you have to... So there's all these things. Right? There's all these things that a man now becomes a godly steward from. Basically what that means is that God is going to hold him accountable for all of those things. Yet we know from Genesis that God made woman to be his helper. Okay? His helper. I want to make an analogy here. Anybody, uh, let's think about, anybody ever, ever worked fast food? Let me see you show of hands. Anybody? Okay. No? Okay, well, think about, think about the jobs you've worked at. Okay, let's think about the director of a company. Or let's think about the general manager. Um, let's think about Sonic. I have a friend who's a general manager at Sonic, so I'm pretty familiar with it. Every single thing that comes in and out of that store is whose responsibility? His. Not the assistant store managers. Not the managers. Not the car hops. His. Right? Everything. The food being made. The drinks being made. The money coming in. The, the training. The safety. All those things. All those things. All the paperwork. Right? All the taxes. Those are all his responsibility. Now, let me ask you something. If you went up to Sonic and you saw the general manager inside and he was doing the paperwork and he was making the drinks and he was making the burgers, right? And he was cleaning the store and he was going out and delivering the orders. How long do you think that store would last? A day, maybe. That's only because people don't know how, how much it sucks, so they're going to keep coming until they figure it out. <laughs> it's not. There's no way, right? There is no way that he can handle all that, that he can be a steward over all that and do a good job. So you know what the manager does? He hires an assistant store manager, an assistant director. And that assistant director gets all the authority that that man has except for when he is standing there and he has the full authority. He is the one who guides the business. He is the one who directs the welfare of, of the employees, of the food. He does all that thing, but everything else that he cannot do while he is managing all that stewardship, he gives into the power of that assistant store manager. Correct? Now, does he hire just anybody for that job? No. He needs someone to be what? Dependable? To be faithful? To be obedient? To understand what's being taught, the direction they're going, right? Needs someone who is going to, when he is not around, he knows that whatever needs to be done is getting done. It's being done right and it's being done safely. Right? Why? Because that's his responsibility, and he can't do it alone. You see, marriage is very similar to this type of relationship. Okay? Marriage is more than just an exclusive relationship between two people. 
It's a covenantal agreement, but it's also a stewardship on both parties. Okay? And dictionary.com, they defined a stewardship as the responsible overseeing and protection of something worth caring for. Something worth caring for. Right? That's what stewardship means. So for a woman coming into this role, as we've already seen that the man is the head of this family unit, that he is ultimately responsible before God, right? Becoming a virtuous woman is becoming a woman that's willing to come beside this man and become strong for him. Keeping the household in order, keeping the children in order, keeping the financial affairs, if that's part of that equation, in order. Whatever it is that the husband has left in, in that woman's authority, while he, if he is doing his job and is rightly guiding the family and is rightly doing all these things, whatever else he puts um, upon his wife, guess what? When he gets back in, it says in verse 11, the heart of her husband safely trusts her. A man should, should trust his wife with that. So he will have no lack of gain. Right. Let me ask you something. I want you to go. Let's go back to the sonic analogy. Let's say this manager, he leaves, he goes out to do deposits or he has to take off work. He's sick or whatever. And. um, That assistant store manager. Just decided to not really show up and fulfill their job. They didn't keep the workers in order. Right. How do you think that business is going to do? Not so well. Didn't particularly care about uh, checking in with them and making sure the finances are right, right? Didn't really, wasn't really concerned about whether or not that facility was clean or that their workers got breaks to eat. How do you think when that general manager came back, no one's fed, the place is dirty, the, the stewardship that he had delegated to the assistant manager wasn't done, how do you think the relationship between that general manager and that assistant manager would be? Not very good. Right? Not very good. Okay? Now, I've been an assistant store manager. Okay? And I know it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But I also know, as being a manager with managers under me, that when you have someone, when you have someone that's sharing that workload with you, and you can trust them, and they're dependable, and they're there for you, everything's good. There's no worry, right? Because you know that, I knew that when I was doing my job, if something came and I needed help, there was someone that was going to be there to strengthen me. There was someone that was going to be there to encourage me, to, to, to help take that load off of me. To become a Kail, a virtuous woman, is learning how to become strong, invaluable, steward over your family. In a sense, as your husband's assistant director. Right? 
Now, the question is, what does it actually look like to fill that role as a wife of virtue? Okay, because we can talk about that, this, this analogy of the sonic, and it's kind of impersonal. Uh, I'll admit, that's kind of an impersonal analogy. But as far as a stewardship before God, as, as far as the functions, I think it was accurate. But what does it look like for a, a woman to actually walk out that role in her life? And there's two main focus points for stepping in and becoming a virtuous woman. The first one is dealing with her, her stewardship before God and the things that, that he has put on her. And the second, of course, is her response to her husband. Her stewardship over the things God has given her and her response to her husband. So I'm going to read through this again, and I'm going to note a couple of things as we go through. Starting in verse 11, the heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And that's my first point. She does him good, not evil, all the days of her life. Part of those marriage vows, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, until death do us part. That's a commitment to God that that you have made to each other. So regardless of the circumstances, a virtuous woman is one who learns to do good all their days. She seeks wool and flax and is willing to work with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She brings f- uh, her food from afar. She also rises while it is night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. Right? So a, w- a virtuous woman, a strong woman, is one who, work, who is willing to work with her hands, who is willing to get the jobs done for the family uh, that need to be done, and is one who provides food for her household. She is a source of strength, and she provides increase for her family. Now, when I say increase, that could be in confidence. That could be in finances. That could be in value. That can be in a lot of ways, right? And we see that as it goes on to say, she considers a field and buys it. And from her profits, she plants a vineyard. I think of my mom. She's about to retire from the city. She's been working for the city for how long? 20 years? Almost 20 years. She's been working her butt off at that city. And you know what she's doing? She's been taking her time and she's investing it in college. And as soon as she retires, she's going to take that retirement. She's invested her time to this degree and she's going to become a paralegal. And she's going to take that retirement and she's going to continue on. And I think that's really cool because that's the thing I thought of when it talks about a woman who considers a field and buys it. And from her profits, she plants what? another source of increase. She, pr- she plants a vineyard. It goes on to say, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands to hold the spindle. That basically means she's like knitting and making clothes, okay? It's kind of crazy words. She extends her hands to the poor Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. Okay? She cares for her family as their needs 
change, right? As they change, she adapts to them and she provides what's needed there. I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 27 where it says also, she watches over the ways of her household and she does not eat the bread of idleness. What does that mean? She's vigilant, right? She's vigilant to the conditions of of her marriage. She's vigilant to the conditions of her children. She's vigilant to the conditions of her of her uh, household and the family around her. And she does not eat the bread of idleness. She does not sit back and do nothing. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. She shall be praised. So being Shavil in a marriage for your stewardship is doing good all the days of your life, willingly working uh, with your hand, providing food for your household, being a source of strength and, and increase for your family, caring for them as their needs change, and uh, watching over the ways of your household, and fearing the Lord in all you do. Now, turn back with me to Ephesians 5 for a moment. You know, I had to go back to Proverbs simply because Ephesians... Ephesians just says it too, too simply. Ephesians gives three commands for, for wives and their husbands. And really it's two. Okay, it lists it three ways, but it's really two commands. And so in Ephesians 5, verse 22, it starts by saying, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I'm not sure there's a woman on the planet that really likes that verse. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure there's not. But it goes on to say, For the husband is the head of the wife, also as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Now, to me, that brings a pretty, that's a pretty heavy weight because that's not just saying, you know, be subject because this is subject. No, 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 it's making a comparison. That's why I've given you these sheets that apparently no one will do because no one did the ones last week, but that's okay. But that's why I've given you, and even the men, I encourage you to do these. List all the ways that we, the church, how are we expected to respect Christ? How are we expected to submit and obey to Christ? Let's say, let's say we were in here and Pastor Mark and I were talking and someone came in and said, you know, I heard that sermon about not stealing. But, you know, I'm not really digging that. So, I mean, can I just tithe and we just, you know, we're just going to go around that, right? What? That's crazy. No one would even... No one would even entertain a thought like that, right? Or what if you had a buddy who said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I mean, I think, I think Jesus is cool with, 
you know, me sleeping around with all these women. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, the Bible's good, but I don't really think we need to obey all that. You know what that's called? It's called heresy. Right? That's blasphemy. What are all the ways we're expected to respect and submit to Jesus? Because this, this becomes our blueprint, or not, well, a wife's blueprint for how God expects her to serve her husband while he is serving her. And this is definitely not a one-sided thing. You can go back to the sermons on Facebook and uh, l- listen to the, the one from last week to get the full picture. But she should respect his position as the head, his authority, right? And learn to respect him as your own flesh. The Bible tells us husbands love your wives. And he goes on to say to love her as your own flesh. That is something so personal and intimate. And I encourage you women to have that same. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we know things. But we have to stop, push everything aside, and refocus. And refocus on those things we already know to give ourselves a different perspective. I have to do it all the time. I'm, I honestly do. I'll be talking to some people, and they'll be telling me all this stuff. And <laughs> either one of thing, one of, a couple of things that happen. Either it's drama, and maybe I don't care, or um, I already know what I'm going to say, or... It's someone who I've been trying to help. I've told them the same thing five times, and they're in the same boat, right? And so as a human, sometimes I get either quick, like I want to answer, or I get upset. And I have to literally stop and listen as they're talking and breathe and just consider the compassion and patience that God has for me. And as I do that, I can feel that compassion pour out, and my whole attitude changes, and my heart sinks, and suddenly, suddenly I have a deep care, a deep care for this person. Sometimes men and women, husbands and wives, sometimes we have to push everything aside. We have to stop, and while you're looking in your spouse's eyes, just take a deep breath and consider God's love for you and allow that to pour out of you for your spouse in that moment and just refocus. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Finally, skip down with me to verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. To fear God is to fulfill his calling and his purpose in our lives. To fear God is to be obedient to his word. And for women entering into a relationship, I mean, really, the basis, the basis of God's word talks about a wife who is quietly behind the scenes praying and supporting her husband, right? Especially the bad ones. It's the bad ones that are hard, but they're the ones that need that support who need to see Christ's character in you. And that is the, that is the calling God has given 
uh, given women. And this means striving to be that Kail, that virtuous, that strong, that powerful woman for that family, for that marriage, and before God. To respect your husbands, submit to their will, and work diligently at home. But in turn, you will become the strength, and you will become the treasure of your family. And you will find the blessing and comfort of the Lord in everything, everything you do. And I'll just say, um, I wonder if I can do this without crying. I cry sometimes. I'm kind of a softie. I really am. But, you know, my wife Courtney has really grown, just like I have, in leaps and bounds since we first got married. And I really enjoy doing this, uh, doing this sermon. See, look, I'm getting all watery-eyed. Because I've been able to see that. And I write these words, a lot of these words, because I know that in my family, you know, there have been times when Courtney was gone for a weekend, not very often, but where she's gone and there's no one at home. And I don't realize until those moments where I'm at home without my wife being there by myself how, like, crazy out of my mind I get. I mean, really. I'm just crazy out of my mind. I don't know what to do with myself. And, you know, my friend Doug, his wife was just in the hospital for weeks and weeks because she had an a, a, a infection in her blood. And he was telling me, he, almost, he was almost crying in the office. I could tell he was trying not to, talking about, I didn't realize how much I needed my wife just to be there. Even if we're not talking, even if we're just in the same room, that it's enough. Why? Because God has designed those women to be that power, to be that value to a man's domain. And I don't really even know if there's a proper, if there's a possible way to put in words what type of, of, um, I can't even, I can't even say it. What, what type of purpose and value, those are the only words I can think of that God puts into those specific relationships and how a, a, a wife and her husband really do fulfill perfectly each other and those needs that they have. It's really a, it's a very interesting thing. Respect your husband's. Submit to their will, work diligently at home, and in turn watch as God transforms your family and makes you into the strength and the treasure of your family. And if you don't believe that, you watch a wife and a husband walk into a house with a bunch of young, young kids and see who gets the hugs first. It ain't daddy. It ain't daddy. You watch a, a, a husband walk into a room with a whole family after a long day and see who if he's not bombarded, see who he goes to first. Because I know for me, it's not my kids. That's not my first interest. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the women in this room. And I thank you for all the, the wives and the mothers um, that you've put in our lives, Father God, and the amazing burden that they take on, Father, and the strength that you give them, Lord, and 
and all the heartache we know they suffer. And so, Father God, I ask that you would just bless them a hundred times over in fulfilling your work, Lord, in, in fulfilling that role, Lord. And I ask for all of us that we would take into consideration um, what wives do and what they have to put up with from us men. And Lord, I, again, I just thank you. And I ask that you would strengthen the women in this room, that you would sanctify them to, to be more in the image of Christ, that when people look at their relationships, their future relationships, that they would glorify you because of what these women are doing. And so, Father God, I ask that you would just sow these seeds into our heart, Father God, until you bring us here again. In Jesus' holy name, amen.